Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture as we wrap up another week. Thank you for joining us, and uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all of you. Here's what we'll be talking about on today's program, the rules that were put into place during the Obama administration concerning uh, what could be in school lunches. Well, about to be changed, USDA has released a final rule that would relax some of the nutrition standards that were a big priority during the Obama administration. This new rule would allow low-fat flavored milk to be back on the menu in uh, the school lunch program. And we'll talk about that with uh, the National Milk Producers Federation a little bit later on. Still a lot of concerns about those tariffs on uh, Mexico and Canada and, of course, the trade issues with China. We're going to talk with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Trade is also a, a big item for the U.S. apple industry. We're going to talk with the president of the U.S. Apple Association coming up on today's program. But joining us now to kick things off with a look at the news of the day, Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Well, there's certainly plenty going on. You know, we were starting to hear these positive things coming out of China that maybe we're, you know, yeah, we can work things out or get some uh, sales going yeah. again, maybe buy some soybeans. And then you have the arrest of a big uh, business executive, Chinese business executive. Uh, kind of wonder what that might do to the uh, whole process. Is that, does that upset the apple card here or not? Well, you know, Mike, I don't know. This thing has been ongoing for some time. You know, obviously we don't hear a lot uh, in terms of the actual uh, talks. I mean, we hear a lot, you know, kind of the side things, like uh, the president this week coming out and saying that uh, China's agreed to buy more ag products and that it's going to happen immediately and, and all this. And so, to be honest, I, you know, this is one of those ongoing sagas. I, I don't know um, at what point do we actually get announcements on some of these things, uh, you know, actual agreements? Um, you know, I, I think uh, every time something happens uh, related to China, it really does send a bit of a shockwave across agriculture. You know, we've got a lot of people waiting, uh, kind of, you know, been very patient about a lot of these trade issues. And I think every time you hear another headline, it's real, you know, it's real easy to uh, – assume that it means something one way or the other, but um, I think this is a very large and drawn-out, complex uh, set of talks that we're going to be seeing ongoing for the, even the next couple of years, be my guess. It reminds us, because we can get focused on soybeans or an ag product, but it reminds us at the heart of this, when we go back to where what started all this, it was about things like intellectual yeah. property, and this brings us back to focus on that. Yeah, and I, you know, I think that's you know, it's something we often forget, you know, in, in, in the industry that we cover and, and um, you know, the things that we focus on is that there's much broader trade issues involving U.S. and China, not just in agriculture, but, as you said, intellectual property rights. I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of friction between the United States and China on that front. And so, um, you know, I suspect that the president, you know, he, he understands that, uh, you know, the way things are going right now in agriculture, that having those markets open up for our farmers again would be would be gigantic and i think um you know the fact the very fact that they're talking about uh china making some sort of an agreement to to allow ag products and so on to come in i think that kind of points to the fact that um 
you know, it's still a, it's still a bargaining chip in the broader, you know, the broader scheme of, of the trade negotiations between the two countries. But um, I think sooner than than later, you know, we're going to have to have something, some ray of life for agriculture on that front. Meanwhile, we keep hearing that the second round of trade aid or tariff relief, however you want to call it, uh, is still being worked out. We may get some uh, information on that next week. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's going to be interesting because a lot of a lot of the back and forth, uh, you know, when we talk about tariffs and so on, I, I think the initial reaction is that, oh gosh, you know, what's going to happen now? What's this going to mean for agriculture and so on? But I think what's become quite clear in, in the past several months is that, um, you know, while a lot of people are nervous about these tariffs and the, and the situation and what it means for agriculture, I think, um, you know, it, again, it's kind of it gives it gives the United States a little bit of of uh, of, of leverage when it, when dealing with China. Um, but yeah, I think the more we can know, more details we can know, the sooner the better. Um, I think a lot of people really need that in agriculture right now. We really need to see something um, come out of these talks for, for farmers at this point. We're talking with Todd Neely with DTN. Meanwhile, Todd, we look ahead to the vote next year on USMCA, the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement. Nancy Pelosi mm-hmm. has made some comments on it. Uh, she came out with a statement saying that the trade pact includes some positives, but is just a list without real enforcement of the labor and environmental protections so uh, uh that kind of yeah. starts drawing the lines for the battle over that uh, agreement when they vote next year yeah there's no doubt about it i think you know we're, we're already hearing lots of talk about uh you know the climate issues and so on and i think um you know we're even hearing andrew wheeler might be under some pressure to, to step away from from democrats in the house and so um, unfortunately, I think that's kind of the road we're going down now. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's it's quite clear that in the past couple of years, you know, this president has scaled back on regulation. Uh, a lot of EPA things have fallen by the wayside uh, from the previous administration. And I think, um, you know, we're probably going to see a revisiting of a lot of those issues and a lot of the environmental things are going to be back at the forefront. Yeah, speaking of environmental issues, a lot of uh, discussion about climate change, and uh, you know there have been these reports coming out uh, with dire predictions for how climate change is going to, among other things, impact agriculture. Um, I, I right. would expect we're going to start hearing more from uh, the farm groups on this topic as we go into 2019. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, you know, a lot of these groups they have positions on these issues, and. Uh, you know, you don't you know often hear a lot about their side of the of the story and and where they stand on a lot of a lot of the climate issues. And so I think you're definitely right. You know, as as we go on into the next year with the new house uh, led by Democrats, uh, we're going to see a lot more of this stuff come to committees. And and you know, I think there's even going to be a push uh, going forward to bring to bring a lot of these issues back to the forefront, even at EPA. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of a lot of change on that front in the past couple of years where EPA has walked away essentially from a lot of the climate issues. And there's no doubt that um, I think beginning immediately next year, we're going to have a lot of these issues back out in the public sphere. Yeah. And we'll see how that progresses. Hopefully agriculture will have a voice at the table. I think in the past, the feeling has been 
you know, mostly what agriculture saw was regulations forced upon them and uh, and, and right. putting their putting their livelihoods at risk so we will see how that plays out in this round which i do think is going to be really uh we're going to see and hear a lot yeah. more of in 2019 well as always todd thanks a lot we've got a lot of more news coming before the end of the year so we'll be talking again thanks a lot all right thank you mike take care todd neely with dtm so again the usda um, putting out the uh the uh, rule that would allow low-fat, 1% flavored milk back in the national school lunch and school breakfast programs. We're going to talk about that with Alan Bjurga with the National Milk Producers Federation. That's coming up next. Stay with us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited-time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. 
Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The final rule implementing regulatory changes needed to allow low-fat flavored milk to be used in school menus and other nutrition programs serving children has been announced. Joining us now to talk about it is Alan Bjurga. He's the Senior Vice President of Communications for the National Milk Producers Federation. Alan, thanks for joining us. I know this is, this is good news uh, for the dairy industry, something you've been pushing for. Yeah, it is something we've been pushing for really since 2012, you know, when you were seeing the, the rules coming out, you know, out of the USDA. It, it's something that gives more flexibility to school districts, and, and frankly, it's something that boosts milk consumption. You saw from 2012 to 2015, uh, 288 million of those little half-pint boxes of, of, of milk, less of them being consumed in schools, even as schools were were rising their enrollments. And so this push for you know, just another milk option for students that they might find attractive, something else that school schools can budget for and offer, you know, that's good for school nutrition, it's good for school children, and, and frankly, it's good for the American dairy industry. Clearly, you know, school lunches are where we want to be. Now, this will allow school districts to offer uh, low-fat flavored milks, and do you anticipate that many will? I would assume that a lot would. Um, now, this is 1% milk, and it's also important to note that, you know, you could offer flavored milk non-fat before. Um, it's really interesting to see how public debate evolves on this. Sometimes you get unintended consequences when you put something on the Internet. But when we did our Facebook post on this announcement yesterday on the National Milk Producers Foundation page, there were a bunch of people saying, we need whole milk, we need whole milk. You know, there's all, uh, there's all sorts of... Uh, research coming out about the benefits of whole milk, especially for school children, and there are a lot of people out there who would like to see even more options. Um, but low fat seems to be something that um, school nutritionists were interested in, um, and of course the School Nutrition Association was very vocal on this particular measure. Um, it's also very important for us. Uh, it's another option. Schools will put put it out as an option. It's also important to note that in the bill, none of these schools can offer only flavored milk. They always have to have you know, a non-flavored milk option as part of this. But it's more variety, it's more options for schools. We certainly would expect schools to adopt it, and we would expect it to help remedy that decline in milk consumption that you have seen in schools over the past few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it really comes down to there were those critical of flavored milk uh, concerns about the, the sugar aspect of it and the, the calories and things like that. But on the other hand, what we saw, kids not drinking milk or, or really reducing their uh, uh, the amount of milk they were drinking and therefore losing the, all the other benefits that you get from, uh, from milk consumption. So I've always thought it better for them to drink the flavor milk and get those benefits than to not be drinking it at all. Well, and that's exactly the, the rub of the argument there. I mean, look, there is an argument to be made that, you know, you don't need to be encouraging kids' sweet tooth. You don't need to have them having a lot of sugar in their diets. You, you, you know, what, what would you feed your own children? Would you prefer them to have chocolate milk or, or regular milk? I, there's, a, there are, there's a case to be made on that side. But I think you is, is, is that 
when you have milk that has nine essential nutrients and is pretty much a nature-made ideal package for delivering these nutrients to kids, do you want to see an environment where these kids aren't having these nutrients at all? Um, you know, all other factors being equal, what would you like to have your kids drinking? You know, you can leave that to parents and consumers in schools. But this is now one more option available that, you know, if a kid might not otherwise drink milk, now they're going to be drinking milk. Um, and, and for child nutrition, that's a very powerful case to be made. And you would certainly hope that this would boost consumption of milk, which is good for school kids. We're talking with Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Alan, I know you had some, uh, some champions uh, on your side on this issue in Congress to help get this done. Yes, we definitely did. Um, and, you know, you can look to members of the House and Senate Agriculture Committees on this. Um, yeah, obviously, both of the chairs and ranking members on each of them were interested in this issue. Um, you know, this goes back to the Obama administration, so you certainly had some <laughs> different partisan perspectives on what changes should and shouldn't be made. And I, I, I would prefer not to get into the other provisions of the bill outside of milk because those are some hot-button items that, you know, you get, you get angry letters from people if they hear you talking about those. But on milk, there really was a pretty strong consensus that, that there was a reasonable solution here. Um, you saw bipartisan support from that, um, and certainly when, when, when the USDA is looking for feedback and who they're listening to, your voices on Capitol Hill are important. And Secretary Purdue was a champion in this. Very much, you know, and this follows up on a promise that he made, that there was going to be more flexibility in these programs. And, you know, Secretary Purdue, it's, it's getting toward the end of the year, it's time to have some promises kept, and... This is very much in keeping with what he had said was going to happen. We've now seen codification of it from the USDA. That's an important, that's an important step to take um, to make sure that some of these changes that were being offered administratively really are going to stick. And now when you start seeing school districts soliciting contracts, figuring out what their offerings are going to be, they have that certainty to know what they can offer. Um, and, and, you know, dairy farmers are very ready to supply it. I want to go over the numbers again. You mentioned them earlier, but uh, just for a point of emphasis here, in 2012, USDA eliminated low-fat flavored milk as an option in the, the school lunch programs. And after that, we saw milk consumption in schools drop considerably, students consuming 288 million fewer half pints of milk from 2012 to 2015, even though public school enrollments grew during that time period so that shows the impact that the, that decision had now it'll be interesting to see if we see uh, uh, that kind of growth now to match that decline we saw how will the growth numbers be now moving forward now that the the flavored milk will be allowed again well definitely and again if you take a look at dairy futures prices and how they fluctuate you know school districts making their orders uh, this, the, the time of the school year has a material impact on dairy prices. And I don't think your listeners you know, need to be informed again about what dairy prices have been like lately. Um, the market can use the support that it can get. School nutrition programs have a tangible effect on the market. So a move like this is the sort of thing that has that multiplier effect that can, you know, it, it, it can help support dairy prices at a time when the dairy sector is struggling with frankly, even greater levels of consolidation than what we have seen over the last few decades. It's, it's been a challenging year for dairy. With this, with the 
farm bill, with some of the incremental progress on trade, you can't say that dairy's problems are solved. But you can say that there are some glimmers that give you a little bit more hope on the horizon from the policy front that, you know, maybe maybe dairy may be on a little surer ground going forward than it has been. Uh, this school nutrition decision is, is just one part of that mosaic that puts together a better picture. Yeah, to me, this is a win-win. The kids uh, like the, the flavored milk. It, it gives them the benefits of drinking milk. Uh, the health benefits, and it helps uh, the dairy industry that needs that support. We've seen fluid milk sales dropping for a number of years. Uh, Hopefully this is a a step in the right direction to reversing that trend. Well, and it is interesting. When you you look at the marketplace and you see some of the products that are coming out and some of the innovative ways that dairy is being processed and packaged, you know, you take a look at your fair life, you take a look at some of the yogurt-based drinks that are coming onto the market, you know, the marketplace is definitely trying to come up with innovative ways to encourage people to consume dairy products, especially you know children for whom dairy is so important for development. Um, school meal programs were kind of going in a, for, in a direction of less variety and fewer options. And this kind of moves things more in that broader direction. Um, does this create another generation of milk drinkers? Well, you know, you have to take a look at a lot of different factors involved in all of, uh, involved behind that. This certainly doesn't hurt, and, and greater consumption can only help. All right, it's not forcing them to drink it, but it's it's allowing <laughs> the option uh, gives you know yep. the, the the opportunity there. Also, this action allows schools to offer the low fat flavored milk without requiring them to demonstrate either a reduction in student milk consumption or an increase in school milk waste. Those were well, some kind of red, red tapes there. Yes, and, that's, and, and when Secretary Purdue is talking about flexibility, that's what he's talking about. I mean, a school could offer low-fat flavored milk, but it, it would involve a lot of paperwork and, and you know metrics and measuring, and you can see at the macro level that there's clearly an effect. You want to do something at the macro level, but at the micro level of every school, you weren't going to see every school district in the nation separately petitioning for low-fat flavored milk because they've just got other things to do. Um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of these school districts, I'm sure they are looking at this and saying, okay, great, we can put this into our budget. You know, we, we, we do know there was a need. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go through five layers of federal bureaucracy to prove something that we already know. We can just do it. Yeah, some good news indeed for uh, the dairy industry and for our school children uh, wanting uh, the low-fat, the 1% flavored milk. Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Stay with us. More to come on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this. But you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there 
You'd be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. USDA export figures for grains largely exceeded analysts' estimations this week, with soybean exports coming in on the high end of estimates. Wheat sales were up 89% from the previous week and 58% from the prior month average said that 224,000 tons of hard red winter wheat was sold to unknown destinations. Wheat futures rallying on this Friday, 12 to 13 cents higher in Kansas. Higher in Chicago wheat an hour into the day. Minneapolis spring wheat, five and a half to six and a fraction higher. In soybean futures, trending four to five cents better. January soybeans closed lower yesterday, but in the upper third of the daily range, Buyers did emerge to support January soybeans on an intraday test of gap support. That gap support, according to the wire talk, remains partially open right around 896 and a half to 897. March corn bulls seeing resistance at 390 to 390 and a half. Support remains at 378 to 380. We have not broken out of that range on a Friday trading session. Lean hog futures made up some ground sharply lower on this Friday we've got some minus signs 35 to 60 cents lower February through June the pork carcass value closed moderately higher yesterday thanks to decent ham and belly strength in live cattle futures were 25 to 75 cents lower feeder cattle trending 40 to 62 cents lower outside markets on Wall Street the Dow swinging on either side of unchanged on this Friday down 147 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. So we continue to look at uh, what came out of the G20 meetings, waiting for details, uh, new developments uh, as far as trade with China. I want to get more perspective, this time from Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel for Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, thank you for joining us. Coming out of that G20 meeting, are we is the arrow up or down, you think, or sideways as far as where we're headed with trade with China? Well, we see that the uh, stock market's been on a roller coaster ride this week. So the answer in a nutshell, we don't know. 
but we think that what happened down at the G20 in Buenos Aires is positive. Can't get much worse with respect to pork exports to China. On two retaliation lists, the uh, China metals, uh, steel, aluminum list, and then the China 301 uh, intellectual property list, punitive tariff of 50%. We haven't been moving much. We shipped a billion dollars there in 2017. So um, we're going to take this as positive news, but, of course, there's kind of a – what this is really about is a 90-day timeout. Um, the, uh, the apprehension of the uh, Chinese um, executive in Vancouver may or may not complicate this. Who knows? But um, we're hopeful that um, this is going to start to break the logjam and we can get back to selling uh, U.S. pork in China. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier, the arrest of the Chinese business executive, uh, that kind of brings us back to where this started over issues like intellectual property rights and things like that. And we, I know we focus on agricultural products that are impacted by all this, but that's kind of at the heart of this whole dispute. Yeah, it really is. And USTR has, um, you know, folks are interested, they should go to the USTR website. A lot of information there. Bottom line is the U.S. and China are talking. We hope sooner rather than later they they get things straightened out so we can get out from under this retaliation. And more than that, you know, we've given this administration a roadmap as to how we increase U.S. pork exports to China. I mean, we've got the 50 percent punitive tariff, but we had some impediments before all this started. We'd like to get those cleared away. We've been talking throughout the course of the year with the administration. So, you know, look, right now we're really behind the eight ball, but hopefully, um, th- I mean, there's the potential for us to really come out ahead. A number of years ago, pork was um, 16% of the consumer price index in China. Not sure what it is today, but it's significant. They eat a heck of a lot of pork there, and the U.S. pork industry could single-handedly put a dent in the U.S.-China trade imbalance. So, We're hopeful. It's taken a toll on us. Dr. Hayes of Iowa State calculates that um, this year, based on an estimated harvest of 125 million hogs, this has hit us uh, to $8 an animal, a billion dollars. When you compound that with Mexico and the fact that we're on that retaliation list, it's been a really tough year for the industry. What do we know about their the situation within China with the African swine fever, what that has done to their domestic production, uh, where are they buying from if they're not buying from us, uh, and how quickly we could recapture market share or, or grow market share even over what we had? Uh, there's no question that ASF is impacting global markets. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that um, it's putting upward pressure on global markets. Um, They're having a very difficult time containing it. No one knows for sure um, the extent to which it's it's spread, but obviously it's significant. It's impacting markets. Um, I, I, you know, when you look at the fact that we're on three retaliation lists, two, two China lists and one Mexico list, and we had record pork production this year, it's nothing short of a miracle. I mean, even though it's been a very bad year for producers, it could have been a lot worse. Export demand is robust. 
some of there's obviously some displacement going on with product from um, a number of other countries. Europe supplies there, Canada in particular, others. So that even though we're not selling um, what we sold, for example, in 2017 to China, there is an impact on markets. And of course, bottom line is we're hopeful that the U.S.-China trade dispute gets cleared up sooner rather than later so we can get back to selling China. And finally, to your point about potential, um, look, China is the single largest opportunity for pork in the world. It's the largest um, pork producing, but it's also the largest pork consuming country in the world. Um, Our costs are significantly lower than theirs. I think people know that in terms of quality and safety, we're second to none. We're affordable. Um, Great opportunity for us there long term, although going to be bumps in the road and obvious. We're talking with Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council. Let's turn our attention to Mexico. Even though we're already starting to look ahead to the vote on USMCA next year, in the meantime, these tariffs are still in place, and that's really hitting the pork industry. Uh, it really hurts. 20% punitive tariff, uh, been in place since July. We're way down uh, in, in, in terms of our value that we capture in that market. Dr. Hayes of Iowa State calculates that the impact um, on producers has, has been $1.5 billion collectively, $12 an animal, very significant. Um, so we're, this, we were very, last weekend was really difficult for us. I think a lot of folks anticipated that when the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement was signed, um, as scheduled last Friday in uh, the G20 in Buenos Aires, Argentina, that the metal tariffs would be off by then. And obviously that hasn't happened yet. Uh, it, this is a problem for us. Uh, the administration understands this is a problem for us. Uh, the good news is um, we think this can be solved sooner rather than later. We, we don't think that the tariffs are going to be on indefinitely. Although I, nobody knows, I, I, I certainly can't say that for sure. Um, the administration certainly knows this is hurting us. Um, they are still negotiating with um, both the Mexicans and the Canadians. Our concern is more focused on Mexico, given that we're on their, their retaliation list, not on Canada's. But we hope that soon we're going to have good news because it's, it, it, it's a big deal. What we want to do is turn our attention 100% to supporting USMCA. And, you know, we can, we can multitask, um, but, and, and we're up on the hill. We already announced that we're going to key vote the USMCA, which means tells members of Congress that we're disproportionately going to put emphasis on this vote so we can go up and educate members. Our producers will be doing that, but obviously takes the wind out of your sails when you're playing so much defense and when we're still on that Mexico metals retaliation list. Well, looking ahead to that vote on USMCA, I mentioned this earlier, but Nancy Pelosi met with U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, and um, Pelosi saying that the trade pact includes some positives, but it's just a list without real enforcement of the labor 
and environmental protections. So we're starting to see some of the lines, the battle lines drawn uh, over this agreement next year, issues that will have to be resolved. With that uh, threat hanging over it, all the negotiations and the vote by the president to pull out of NAFTA. Yeah, look, this administration has worked really hard to try and craft a bipartisan deal. And I, I, you know, I, I think people know that Democratic members of Congress um, have put a lot of emphasis on what labor thinks. And I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a trade negotiation where in any administration, Democrat, Republican or Democrat, where the administration works so closely with labor. And, you know, you, you look at the um, uh, just what they're doing on metals today, which is, you know, a separate issue, but it's related what they did on autos and auto rules of origin. So, I, you know, they really reached out to labor, um, you know, can the agreement be improved? Yeah, maybe. I mean, no agreement is perfect, just like no marriage or no relationship is perfect. But the thing that we can't have happen here is to make the perfect the enemy of the good. Because we have to, the pork industry has to have zero tariff trade with Mexico. Or we're going to be in, where, as I said, with the 20% punitive tariffs today, we are really hurting, and if we have no zero tariff trade with Mexico, so no trade deal, 20% happens to be what's called the column one rate. That would be the rate applied to our product. We can't live with that. And I know there are a lot of other sectors of the economy that aren't going to be able to live with going back rates in Mexico. So... We're all for improving this and doing whatever it takes to get the votes through Congress, but we are not going to tolerate, and I'm sure a lot of others are, because there's a lot of money at stake here and a lot of people's financial livelihoods. We can't tolerate going back to the way things were pre-NAFTA. We have to have zero tariff access to the Mexican market and Canada for that matter. Yeah, a lot on the line for sure. Nick, thanks for being with us. Always appreciate your time to be with us and giving us your perspective. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. All right, coming up next, we're going to learn more about the U.S. apple industry. What are some of their issues? They're similar to some of the uh, issues we talk about for other commodities trade, farm bill, issues like that. We're going to talk with the president of the U.S. Apple Association. That's coming up next on AOA Adams on Agriculture. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, 
the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider. Vermont and New York Banking Departments. Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. All right, guys. We're ready for our four-season sunroom. And Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no. We'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom... What about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Over the holiday season, you know there are so many pleas out there for assistance from one organization or another. All of them do good work. We're asking you not to forget us. Every child deserves a little Christmas. Every year since 1947, the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve Toys for Tots program has been out there collecting toys for millions of deserving children, children who otherwise would go without at this most joyous time of year. The Toys for Tots website is the starting point to find one of our campaign sites. It's toysfortots.org. That's really simple. Toysfortots.org. All one word. Toys. You'll be able to find out how to donate directly to a local campaign or register for assistance. Toysfortots.org. All you need to remember, toysfortots.org delivering hope since 1947. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, <clears throat> me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. 
But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. I always like to learn about a segment of agriculture that I'm not real familiar with, and that's the case here. We're going to talk about apple production. We're going to talk with Jim Baer, president of the U.S. Apple Association. Jim, thanks for joining us. Good to be with you, Mike. You know, we talk a lot with the corn and soybean, cattle and and pork uh, producers, and we focus on issues like farm bill, like trade, and the impact uh, those issues have on uh, that se- those segments of agriculture. I guess we could say the same about uh, your industry, right? Uh, these are issues important to apple growers. They sure are, Mike. They, uh, they hit us uh, right in the pocketbook, just like they do your regular listening audience, and uh, we're working in coalition with those groups to try to make some changes here in D.C., so thanks for the interest. Yeah, trade is such a focal point for agriculture and the trade concerns. We talk a lot about them, uh, whether it's with the new NAFTA or what's going on with China. How have the trade tensions that are going on right now, how have they impacted your industry? Like much of agriculture, trade is absolutely critical to us. We export about a third of our crop each year. That's a value of about a billion U.S. dollars per year. Uh, $1 billion positive contribution to the balance of trade. So it's important to the country. It's important to us. So far, uh, more than half of our exports are being impacted by the tariffs. Our uh, exports are down almost 30% so far year to date. The NAFTA that you mentioned, um, of course, the president has sort of what we call a handshake agreement so far with Mexico and Canada. And uh, even though the president has called NAFTA the worst trade deal in history, well, for agriculture in general and certainly for apples, it's been the best trade deal in history. After NAFTA came into uh, effect, we quadrupled our exports to Mexico. We more than doubled our exports to Canada. And uh, those two countries alone have been buying more than uh, $450 million worth of U.S. apples each year. There's a long way to go yet. Uh, That agreement needs to get ratified by Congress, both houses of Congress. And now with the Democratic Party taking over the House of Representatives, it's not a done deal by any means that Congress will ratify it. Uh, The president, as a result, is threatening to withdraw from NAFTA and we think that would be a, a disaster because we would then revert back to the pre-NAFTA tariffs of 20 percent, and that just takes sales away from U.S. growers, and and we think that would be a huge mistake. So we're calling on Congress to ratify the agreement as quickly as possible so we can get back into doing what U.S. agriculture does best, and that's grow a great product and ship it all over the world. And the trade dispute with China is impacting your growers as well. That's a particularly painful uh, subject for us, Mike. We just got the China market open in May of 2015, and we now have full and free access in Apple trade in both directions with China. They're not shipping very much here because we grow a much uh, better quality product. 
China went from uh, in May of 2015 to May of 2018. In those 36 months, they went from zero imports of U.S. apples to become our number six largest export. Two and a half million boxes of U.S. apples last year, and more importantly, it was high-quality varieties at at premium prices. So that was a bright spot in a new, in a brand new market. And so now that that's been um, put at risk because of the 50% retaliatory tariffs that China is imposing on U.S. apples, that's all um, in question. And so we've got, you know, several different things going on here. The NAFTA, the tariffs into Mexico are 20%, the tariffs into China our 50% in India, which had been our number three largest export market, was just taken off like a rocket earlier this year, had surpassed Canada as our second largest market for the first time in decades. And uh, unfortunately, their tariffs are 50% and are scheduled to go to 75% here in a few days. And so that's a that's also a, a very concerning thing for us. And, you know, to me, Mike, I think it's just a miracle of modern agriculture that we can ship our products all over the world, particularly something that's a perishable commodity like apples that could be shipped from the United States all the way to India. And not only is it still good to eat when it gets there, but the people can still afford it. So we're super disappointed that the retaliatory tariffs are still in effect. And and, uh, with respect to the steel and aluminum tariffs, we're we're calling on the administration to remove those tariffs so we can get back into shipping as normal. So trade's a huge issue for apple growers. So, too, I would imagine, uh, is the labor issue. It is. Uh, Many commodities, and I know in your listener audience, is highly mechanized, and I grew up on a Midwest uh, grain and livestock farm, so I'm familiar with that. But the fact is that in in specialty commodities like apples, it's still hand labor. There are companies that are working on mechanical harvesters, but that's still years away. So for the time being, we rely on immigrant labor. I talk to family farmers all the time who have had to leave 100000 or $200,000 worth of apples on the trees to rot because it couldn't get people to pick them. And that's that's a tragedy, and it's obviously a, leaves a big impact on family growers all over the country. Uh, it's not widely understood, unfortunately, that the people who do come to this country to pick our fruits and vegetables, they do pay taxes, and the only legal means of doing that is the so-called H-2A visa, and it's very cumbersome, it's very expensive, it's very bureaucratic, it costs about $2,000 per worker just to get them to your farm, and that's before they pick the first apple. So it's it's very expensive, but nonetheless, it's the only legal way of of getting the kind of labor that we need. Uh, Congress debated through 2017 and 2018 uh, a bill that would have reformed our immigration laws. And by the way, our immigration laws haven't been reformed since since Ronald Reagan was president in uh, 1986, and so it's way overdue, and unfortunately, uh, the bill, which was a Republican bill, couldn't even muster enough Republican votes to pass in a Republican majority House, so we move, on, we move into 2019. It'll be uh, interesting to see if, if the Democratic-held House will do right. any different or do any better, but that's where we are today. Jim, 
thank you for the update on the issues impacting your industry. We look forward to talking more in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. Jim Baer, President of the U.S. Apple Association on Adams on Agriculture.